Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, believe it by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's Sleep Health Radio with Dr. Scott, the show that addresses the fact that being fatigued and stressed is not normal. It's time for a change. Each week, Dr. Scott Simonetti will discuss the cause of symptoms of health-related issues like anxiety, TMJ, headaches, facial pain, and disrupted sleep. He understands the importance of whole body health and is passionate about improving quality of life for everyone. Get ready to learn how to improve your health now. Here's your host, Dr. Scott. Hi, hello, and welcome, everybody, to Sleep Health Radio with Dr. Scott. Thank you for joining me. My name is Dr. Scott Simonetti, and I will be your pilot on this journey of discovery on a quest to connect the dots towards better sleep health. On the last episode, I spoke about how poor sleep health and the subsequent fight-or-flight response can cause a release of stress hormones, namely epinephrine and cortisol, at a time when these hormones are usually low or absent. The release of stress hormones during sleep has many consequences, including obesity, but it also creates a constant feeling of stress and anxiety. What is stress? Well, there is good stress, that's called eustress, which helps you study for a test or ace an interview or accomplish a difficult task at work or prepare for a live radio show. It challenges your mind and your body and to accept new challenges and new adventures, to grow, to advance, to learn. But stress can also be bad, and this is called distress. This is stress that overwhelms the body and causes exhaustion and loss of resiliency. Pretend again that you are a Neolithic hunter on that auroch hunt, and after you release the norepinephrine through the fight or flight response to help defend the, the mighty auroch, it only lasted a few minutes before the system was shut down. And then the cortisol which was released elevated the blood sugar to provide the energy needed, but it also provided energy for the, for the sources that were just used up in the auroch attack. Now after the long-lasting cortisol for the long walk back, it not only provided energy, but it reduced acute inflammation that occurred in the alarm phase. Your body is trying to recover from this stressful event. During the long walk back to the village hauling meat, although the SAM access was activated early to release the epinephrine, it was now turned off. And the HPA access having released a cortisol to help elevate the circulating levels of sugar and fat was now also turning off. This is the resistant phase in Cellier's stress model. The energy is needed, but it is now the enemy has been defeated and the alarm phase is over. The HPA access is not used anymore for the fight or flight. It's actually beginning of the resistance phase, trying to restore balance after the alarm phase. This HP access now is counteracting the alarm by reducing inflammation caused by the initial fight or flight. 
and by refueling the hungry cells that used up a lot of energy during the long phase. Now, as you return to the village, showing off your huge meat hall, you raise your giant auroch horns triumphantly, and your mate runs into your arms, hugging you, not only happy to see you return safe, but also seeing you carrying the enormous horns of the defeated auroch. She knows this would increase your family standing in the rapidly growing village. At this point, your fight or flight response has been turned off for hours, and the last remaining evidence of the event, the extra cortisol, was now gone also. Your sympathetic system was now calm, and your parasympathetic was now being stimulated. You are hungry, your stomach growls, saliva forms in your mouth. But not only are you hungry, you feel love. You feel love of your mate and of your clans. This is the parasympathetic branch of your nervous system, effectively calming all your cells. Your vagus nerve is active when it's needed most, when you want to rest and digest. Your digestive tract is getting the perfect signal in order to digest a huge amount of meat you and your family are about to consume. Your body is now prepared for eating the epinephrine levels, short-lived, have already cleared, and your heart rate and your blood pressure have returned to normal as well. You don't feel like you're being attacked or being choked. You can relax, unwind, enjoy the moment, enjoy the taste of the charred meat, enjoy your mate's huge smile. You hear cheering from the huts around the village. Everyone is celebrating without any stress without any epinephrine or excess cortisol in their bloodstream. Unfortunately, poor sleep health and excess stress hinders most people from entering into this moment, this moment of joy, of success, of accomplishment, of love. Having constant cortisol and epinephrine from a fight-or-flight response in your bloodstream will hinder these feelings from occurring. That's because poor sleep health gives a signal to your body that you're under attack. You can't relax. You can't trust. You can't be happy. You have to be vigilant. You're being told to fight. Fight the enemy. Don't relax. Be hypervigilant. You're listening to Sleep Health Radio on 710WOR with Dr. Scott. We're talking about a silent enemy enemy that we're battling at night is invisible. It stimulates the fight or flight. It could be from sleep apnea or from fragmented sleep from UARS, but our body launches a nonspecific response to the stressor placed upon it, similar to fighting an auroch every night, all night. This keeps the gas pedal, the sympathetic nervous system, pressed down, and the brakes the parasympathetic branch, are not used enough. This creates a speeding car that is going fast and out of control, conditions for an accident or for a disease. Reducing the parasympathetic or the vagus is very bad. Low vagal tone is bad. Low vagal tone is seen in heart disease. Many of you listening right now have your gas pedal pressed down very hard with little ability to tap on the brakes. You're a speeding race car out of control. That's because your disrupted sleep and your nighttime stress response is resetting your body's heart rate, blood pressure, and stress levels and sympathetic drive to higher levels 
to higher levels throughout the day while you are not sleeping. Therefore, there's a need for daytime stress interventions. How do we combat elevated stress? Well, the first thing we should do is not eat inflammatory foods. When we eat sugar, man-made vegetable oils, white flour, it causes a para-inflammation. That's a low level of inflammation that's felt by our arteries all day long. Manufactured vegetable oils also can oxidize our LDLs, the fat transporters, and this accelerates atherosclerosis. So what we eat is very important. But the next thing we can do are mind-body practices such as yoga, meditation, breathing. These are recognized by the National Institute of Health as methods to decrease stress and improve health. The NIH funds many clinical trials that support these mind-body practices. But why are they recognized as beneficial by the NIH? It's because these practices stimulate the vagus nerve. And since the vagus nerve, the break, is being dominated at night by the sympathetic nerve, it needs help and support during the day. The vagus nerve, the 10th cranial nerve, may be the most important single nerve in the body. Because of its long path through the human body, it's called the wandering nerve. In the neck, the vagus provides innervation to most of the muscles of the airway, which involves swallowing, vocalization, and breathing. In the thorax, it provides the main parasympathetic supply to the heart to reduce the heart rate. In the intestines, the vagus nerve regulates the constriction of the smooth muscle and gland secretion. These are very important for proper digestion. The vagus nerve is responsible for the regulation of internal organs, heart rate, respiratory rate. It's also involved in motor, in motor activity and certain reflex activities, such as coughing, sneezing, swallowing, vomiting. But animal studies have demonstrated a remarkable regeneration capacity of the vagus nerve. Use it or lose it. Proper stimulation of the vagus can help it become stronger and more responsive. You're listening to Sleep Health Radio on 710 WOR with Dr. Scott, and I'm talking about the the amazing vagus nerve. The vagus nerve innovates the pautal glossus muscle that elevates and protrudes our tongue. This is a hidden access spot to stimulate the vagus. Most of the vagus deals with activities that act behind the scenes without being thought about, but the tongue has a special connection with the vagus. The pouta glossus is the only muscle in the tongue that is controlled by the vagus nerve, and boy is that an important connection. Those sport fans out there might remember Michael Jordan, one of the greatest basketball players of all time. Some of his most iconic moments have him photographed with his tongue hanging out of his mouth. In the middle of a play, just before he went up for that final game-winning shot, he would stick out his tongue all the way out like he was taunting his opponent, knowing he was about to beat them. But Michael Jordan sticking out his tongue was done for an unconscious reason, not to taunt his opponent. But it was a way for his body to calm his nerves, steady his concentration, focus his muscle activity and reflexes. He was stimulating his vagus nerve. Sure, a coach wouldn't suggest to stick out your tongue while you're taking your jump shot. It's a great way to get your t- 
tongue clipped off, but Michael Jordan did it and it worked. So other than sticking out your tongue, what other ways can we stimulate the vagus? Well, slow breathing exercises or yoga or meditation have a way of slowing the heart rate by stimulating the vagus. This creates a sense of relaxation or calm. This is because it counteracts the high stress levels. Some of the more popular yoga exercises are clearly stimulating the vagus nerve. Let's look at some of these. The buzzing bee, my children do these. It's humming in and out of your nose while holding your ears. The forced humming vibrates the muscles that are controlled by the vagus. So this sound not only stimulates nitric oxide, but that's a topic for another episode. It helps to stimulate the vagus, helping put on the brakes on stress. Remember, the parasympathetic nervous system, the vagus, counteracts the fight or flight sympathetic branch. So, but there's more. When the muscles, when used to hum, are controlled by the vagus, this helps to strengthen the connection between the vagus has an amazing regenerative ability. It has plasticity. So if you increase its use, it can increase its influence if trained enough. And another yoga exercise is the victory breath, or the ocean breath, or the ujjayi breath. This is a type of slow breathing that generates a sound in the back of the throat, kind of like Darth Vader, or whispering hello. It goes something like this. That sound I'm making is the victory breath, and you would do that slowly in and out for about five seconds, for maybe five minutes, but it stimulates muscles that are controlled by, you guessed it, the vagus nerve. This helps not only counteract the sympathetic, but it helps exercise or train the vagus nerve. So at night, when you sleep, your airway can respond better, thanks to a better, stronger connection with the vagus nerve. The, uh, another basic yoga exercise is the jiva bandha. This is saying the letter N. Put your, put your tongue, say the letter N, and feel where your tongue goes. It goes to the roof of your mouth. This is where your tongue belongs. This is the proper position. This makes the airway larger, but it also helps to stimulate the vagus nerve by the action of the palatal glossus. Also, when the tongue is at the roof of your mouth, it's very hard to clench your teeth. Now put your tongue on the, when say N, and, and put your tongue on the roof of your mouth and breathe through your nose. See how easy the air goes through your nose? It goes into your lungs with less resistance. Remember the word resistance? Resistance to breathing from either a stuffed nose or from the tongue falling back in the airway causes a nighttime stress response similar to the stress response from choking during sleep apnea. So when you remove the resistance by creating more space in the airway, by advancing the tongue, your stress response decreases. The reason people feel better from practicing yoga or slow breathing or meditation is because they're stimulating their vagus nerve and reducing the fight or flight. But sometimes these daytime stress reduction techniques are not enough. People care about their nutrition. They care about their physical activity level, their spirituality. But sometimes they're missing a piece of the puzzle. When I come back, I'm going to talk about a patient who had great nutrition, had daytime relaxation techniques, but was still not feeling right. And then something changed. Listen to her story next 
on Sleep Health Radio with Dr. Scott on 710WOR, the voice of New York. Hey, Buck Sexton here. If you suffer from headaches, facial pain, anxiety, have restless sleep, or if you're like me and have TMJ, there's help. Dr. Scott of 710WOR's Sleep Health Radio invented an FDA-cleared patented device called the Pod. This new Night Guard's unique design allows it to work much better than the flat plane splint. To find out more, call Dr. Scott at 631-277-4848. That's 631-277-4848 and visit jawpaindoc.com. If New York's talking about it, Buck Sexton's talking about it. Born, bred, and bleeds New York. Weeknight 6 to 9. 710 WOR. A healthy smile brings you confidence. Find your confidence at the dental offices of Simonetti and Domasic, located in Suffolk County. At Simonetti and Domasic, it's all about personal care. They make sure each patient feels educated and safe. They understand that life is busy, which is why they have early and late appointments every day of the week, and they're open on Saturdays as well. Call Simonetti and Domasic in Suffolk County today at 631-277-4848. That's 631-277-4848. Does COVID have you stressed? Do you suffer from headaches? Does your jaw hurt and make sounds? Are you tired during the day? If so, Dr. Scott could help. Dr. Scott Simonetti invented a patented FDA-cleared custom mouthpiece that helps to reduce headaches and jaw pain. Your daily headaches and migraines may be related to clenching and grinding your teeth. Many people suffer from TMJ symptoms, but you don't have to suffer anymore. If you're sick and tired of waking up with fatigue, call Dr. Scott at 631-277-4848. Visit him at jawpaindoc.com. That's jawpaindoc.com. Having daily headaches, migraines, or fatigue is not normal. But unfortunately, many people ignore these common symptoms. These could be signs of TMJ and disrupted sleep. If left untreated, these TMJ symptoms can turn into decades of chronic pain, fatigue, and anxiety. The good news is there is hope. Dr. Scott Simonetti, a dentist in East Islip, New York, invented a patented FDA-cleared custom mouth guard called the POD, which can address many common TMJ symptoms. Dentists for over 100 years have used the flat plane splint to treat TMJ, this antiquated splint can fail for several reasons. It doesn't stop excessive bite forces, and it blocks the tongue from moving forward. Dr. Scott designed the pod to correct these flaws in the flat plane splint. The pod addresses the cause of your symptoms and doesn't just act as another bandage. Call Dr. Scott now at 631-277-4848. That's 631-277-4848 to schedule an appointment or visit jawpain.com. Sleep Health Radio is brought to you by Advanced Facial Tonics, developer of novel oral orthotics for health and wellness. Visit them at advancedfacialdontics.com. That's advancedfacialdontics.com. Welcome back to Sleep Health Radio with Dr. Scott. I'm your host, Dr. Scott Simonetti. And I saw a patient a while back in my office, and I noticed she had TMJ symptoms. So I suggested treating her. And she seemed a little reluctant that it could make a big difference treating her jaw. But I would like to welcome my patient, Tracy, who is also a holistic nutritionist to Sleep Health Radio. Tracy, thank you for joining me today. Hi, Dr. Scott. Thank you for having me. 
Thanks for being on live with us. So I want you to tell us about a few of the things you were doing for the few years to improve your health in general before before I treated you. Sure. Um, you know, it actually wasn't really even a few years. It, it was kind of like my whole life um, was kind of like on this journey towards wellness. Um, and it really didn't matter what I did. I never really truly found that I felt better. Um, some things would help me a little bit. Um, but anyway, so I would, um, I changed my diet and my um, lifestyle, um, but it, it never really kind of got better. Um, so I was struggling with things like anxiety, fatigue, um, some weight challenges. Um, and that really kind of happened, um, I guess, in my early adulthood, maybe about like 10 or 15 years ago. So what did you do as far as um, food-wise and breathing exercises? What were some of your daytime activities that you did that helped you, but all, although didn't um, really didn't get you over, over to where you wanted to be yet? Yeah, so I was practicing things like Pilates, um, you know, walking, some deep breathing techniques, kind of, you know, like similar to what you were describing. Um, and they would actually help me feel better during the day. But I think the, that the kind of challenge was that it, it never really stopped. It was something that would help me during the day. But, you know, I was kind of more into this, why is it happening? Why do I always feel anxious kind of thing? Um, you know, when I was one of those people who would go to the doctor and, and actually specialist, because um, I felt like something was wrong, and all of my blood work and testing would come back perfect. And, in fact, it looked like I was the picture of health. But, you know, in my mind, I would say, like, you're telling me that nothing is wrong, but everything is wrong. Um, and so I really didn't know um, what was causing this. But I did have the, you know, the, the breathing and the kind of exercise and trying to slow my life down a little bit. Um, but it seemed like my body was always working against me. So then when you wore the pod, what differences did you feel? Um, well, it's funny. When you uh, had given me the pod that first day, you said, this is going to really help you. All of your headaches are going to go away. And the one thing I didn't complain to you about was headaches. And I said, Dr. Scott, I, like, I must be one of the lucky ones because I don't have headaches. You know, I definitely have the fatigue and everything else. Um, so, you know, we kind of just chalked it up. I brought it home. I wore it. Um, and I want to say, like, maybe, like, three or four nights um, I wore it. And one morning I woke up and I just felt really good. And I remember saying to myself, wow, I don't have a headache today. And then I, I stopped and I was like, wow, I don't have a headache today. I can't even believe it. I must have had chronic headaches every single day of my life. But I, it just must have become like a norm to me. I didn't even know it. So, you know, um, I would wake up feeling refreshed. I still do. Um, uh, I wake up feeling Yeah, that's what happens. Feel- so, so, many, so many people get accustomed to feeling their pain in their, their jaw, their headaches, that it's their normal. So sometimes they don't even report them or complain about them because they're always there. They're always underlying. So, but when you do and you can take that away, it's usually pretty dramatic because it's nice not to have pain. And you realize, wow, I guess I was having pain. Exactly. And I didn't know it. And one of the things I felt very much but didn't know that it could be corrected was like my mind. I always say like I'm, a, I'm afraid to not sleep with my pod because I, I need my mind back. And it was like this um, new feeling of like a very clear 
mind where I could count on my, my mind to, to be functioning because before that I would always feel so foggy um, along with the fatigue. Um, and so that really cleared up um, after yeah, I started really, wearing that, the pod. That's very hard to quantitate the clarity or the re- reduction of a brain fog. It's really hard to score that or have a test or uh, make it obvious. But when you don't have it, you realize you don't have it and it feels nice. It feels nice to have, have, have clarity in your thought and have your brain work quickly and not have that brain fog with that fatigue. So I'm really glad that you, um, you mentioned those things because that's important for patients to, to recognize sometimes, uh, again, because it is hard to score right down those symptoms. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, it's so funny because I ended up, I am a holistic nutritionist, but this was like the end result of my health journey. I had tried so many different um, avenues and elements to try to correct my health um, that I ended up becoming certified in it because I had like looked into so many different channels. But, you know, just looking at this whole thing, um, you know, just in in retrospect and in hindsight, I can see that when I was working on my health so much um, or attempting to, uh, which all ended up being really good changes and things that were necessary to change. um, It was like, I was almost like trying to build a house and put up the doors and the windows before I laid down the foundation and the foundation was my sleep. And so I couldn't heal my body until I had that foundation of good. And I was getting, sleep, you know, eight hours of sleep, but it wasn't deep restorative sleep. And that's the difference that I was able to feel once I started wearing the pod. Wow, that's so, so well said. And foundation sleep is really the foundation because then it makes the things you were doing afterwards, your nutrition, your, your exercise, your healthy things you were doing during the day work so much better for you is because you had the foundation of sleep. So I want to I want to thank you so much for joining me, Tracy on Sleep Health Radio. Um, your, your testimonial was really um, amazing and eye-opening, hopefully, for some people. So uh, I wish you continued good health, and uh, thank you. We'll see you again real soon. Thanks so much, Dr. Scott. Be well. So you're listening to Sleep Health Radio on 710WOR with Dr. Scott, and I would like to tell you a bit more about the, the amazing vagus nerve. Dr. Stephen Porges developed what he called the polyvagal theory not too long ago. Polyvagal meaning multiple branches of the nerve. Research in comparative neuroanatomy and neurophysiology has identified two branches inside the vagus nerve we've been talking about in mammals. Each branch supporting different adaptive functions and behavioral strategies. The most primitive component is the immobilization system. This makes an animal freeze or fake death or have a behavioral shutdown. Think of a lizard freezing up or how a mice fakes, fakes dead or passes out in a cat's mouth. The primitive freezing or immobilization system is the older, unmyelinated dorsal branch of the vagus nerve. And it exists in most vertebrates, including humans. It's associated with the primal survival strategies with primitive vertebrates, reptiles, and amphibians at freezing to conserve their metabolic sources. The other newer branch of the vagus nerve is more complex and only found in mammals. It's the ventral branch of the vagus, and it's myelinated to provide speed in responding to a recently, this recently evolved branch separates us from our closest non-mammalian relative, the turtle, 
which only has the original dorsal or vegetative branch. The polyvagal theory calls this newer ventral branch the smart vagus because it's involved with the regulation of the sympathetic fight or flight behavior by way of the social interactions. This smart branch fosters a calm behavioral state by inhibiting the sympathetic influence on the heart and by reducing the stress access. Remember when I said the vagus is the brakes? Well, specifically, it's the ventral branch of the vagus. This branch connects with the pacemaker of the heart to produce a baseline or resting heart rate. When vagal tone is removed or the vagus signal to the heart is reduced, there is little inhibition to the pacemaker and a rapid increase in heart rate will occur. This is the very first, fastest stage in the fight or flight response. Think of being startled by a loud banging or scream. Feel your heart race? That's the fast ventral vagal complex, reducing its influence on the heart, enabling an almost immediate heart rate increase, faster than hormones could travel. But that spike was just prepping you for what could come next. When nothing comes next, the banging stops because you answer the door, or the person stops screaming because she just stubbed her toe, then the heart rate returns to normal after your brain surveys the scene and realizes there was not a dangerous event or not a life-threatening event. The smart vagus is prepping the body with elevated heart rate first, but it did not actually enact the fight or flight response since it was quickly perceived that the environment was safe. It didn't need to stimulate the SAM or HPA access yet. Activation of these stress systems comes at a severe biological cost, and if their use could be avoided by the body, and the body would rather not utilize it. This is the branch of the vagus, only in mammals, the super fast, and it's linked up to portions of our brain that are meant to detect danger and safety. When the brain perceives danger or threat, it will reduce the vagus's input to the heart, increasing the heart rate. This is called neuroception, our brain surveying our environments unconsciously. If the threat persists, then the SAM and the HPA access will be activated to prepare the body for the upcoming battle. But the beauty of the smart vagus is that it can trigger the first stage of fight or flight, elevated heart rate, without engaging stress hormones. The stress hormones could be elevated afterwards or next if the perceived danger or threat is actually real. The vagus relies on direct input received from the emotion centers of the brain. This amazingly fast, more recently evolved vagus branch, the ventral vagus branch, is not only the first responder to the fight or flight response by reducing the input of the pacemaker of the heart, but it also allowed mammals, especially humans, to do something quite special. It enables social communication, such as facial expression, listening, changing the tone of your voice for emphasis, making eye contact, having empathy, having altruism. The ventral vagus branch allows for compassion, human interaction, social engagement. It enables one to feel and give love. You're listening to Sleep Health Radio on 710WR with Dr. Scott, and I'm talking about the amazing vagus nerve. It interacts with our perceived environment to sense danger and safety. It can actually sense voices and faces of the people around us. It explains why a kind face or a soothing voice can dramatically alter the way we feel. Polyvagal theory makes us look 
beyond the effects of fight or flight and puts the social relationships front and center. A proper function, functioning vagus nerve helps us read and interact with people in a better way, to communicate, to be more trusting, to be more caring. When someone has disrupted sleep that is causing a nighttime stress response, as I've gone over, this will override the beneficial social engagement aspects of the vagus. It will signal the body that there is an attacker. Not only will the vagus reduce its input to the heart and GI, it would allow for the activation of the stress axis. Unfortunately, the sympathetic system is activated, it will hinder the parasympathetic branch and limit the potential effect of the vagus. This is bad, very bad, not only for physiological reasons, but it affects socialization of that person. The all-important ventral vagal complex, the myelinated nerve that make us human, are severely limited sometimes. A person is under attack by an invisible snake from disordered breathing, will not be allowed to have the proper social interaction since they are on defensive mode. They're being hypervigilant. This hypervigilance is taxing. It takes a lot of energy, but it also has an emotional toll on that person. Their body is purposely hindering their social engagement. Now, in modern life, we don't come across life or death situations as regularly as our ancestors did, and a fight-or-flight response should only be used for a small fraction of the day, maybe 5%, maybe 2%. The rest of the day, we should be in parasympathetic mode. Yes, that's right. Healthy modern humans should be in parasympathetic mode most of the day. This enables us not to only properly digest, but it will facilitate our social interactions, allow you to build trust support, and love with those around you. You will have altruism and compassion. But poor sleep health will dampen the amazing potential of the vagus nerve that makes us human. Only when we perceive our environment as safe, with no active threats, can the vagus do its job properly. Remember, we are in flight or flight mode. We are not utilizing the vagus. If the fight or flight fails and a mammal or human faces impending doom, they will revert back to the oldest branch of the vagus. They will freeze. Think of the plaster statues of the people that found in Mount Vesuvius. They're hurled in a fetal position. Now, remember last episode, I had Dr. Paul Miller on as my guest. He's an airway-centric orthodontist from New York, and he published an article on PubMed that documents that a patient who had treat- treatment-resistant depression reversed by palatal expansion. The patient was unable to attend school and had high stress levels and depression. His social interactions were limited and strained. Sounds like he was on fight or flight mode and his vagus wasn't functioning enough. When the fight or flight response was halted by moving the resistance in the airway from the palatal expansion, the patient was not only able to return to school and social activities, but successfully graduated college. We can assume that the reduction of the sympathetic system allowed the vagus to function more, especially his ventral vagus complex that allowed his depression and social anxiety to disappear. Many of you have adolescent children that have difficulty communicating or showing emotion or feeling empathy or concern for others. Maybe they're on fight-or-flight mode and their smart vagus is telling them to defend, to defend and be vigilant, to not trust, to not get too close. 
to not bond with anyone, to not look them straight in the eyes. This is because their smart vagus that enables human emotional connections is being stifled by its opponent, the sympathetic fight-or-flight response. In Celia's model, the final stage is exhaustion. That means your body is tired of fighting. It's out of energy. It's exhausted. And now you are less resilient and more susceptible to disease. An exhaustion phase can be linked to sympathetic fight-or-flight overload. Exhaustion is, is linked to greater risk of heart disease. Indeed, high vagal tone is considered cardioprotective and low vagal tone is considered a risk for heart disease. When I come back, I'm going to tell you about the other major consequence of low vagal tone has. Next on Sleep Health Radio with Dr. Scott on 710WOR, The Voice of New York. Season 21 is finally here, and that brings hope for less stress and anxiety. If you're still suffering from headaches, migraines, jaw pain, and daily fatigue, then Dr. Scott can provide hope. Dr. Scott Simonetti invented a patented FDA-cleared custom mouthpiece that helps treat those common TMJ symptoms. Call 631-277-4848 or visit him at jawpaindoc.com. That's jawpaindoc.com or call Dr. Scott at 631-277-4848. Ladies, have you noticed some jaw pain or maybe you're waking up with pain during the night? You might be grinding your teeth when you sleep. The stress and fatigue we experience during the day can be caused by excessive clenching and grinding during the night. An easy way to fix this is the pod, a revolutionary new custom night guard invented by Dr. Scott Simonetti. The pod will not only relieve your jaw pain and headaches, but it'll change your life. No more pain, no more fatigue, just better sleep. Call Dr. Scott at 631-277-4848. Online at jawpaindoc.com. A healthy smile brings you confidence. Find your confidence at the dental offices of Simonetti and Domasic, located in Suffolk County. At Simonetti and Domasic, it's all about personal care. They make sure each patient feels educated and safe. They understand that life is busy, which is why they have early and late appointments every day of the week, and they're open on Saturdays as well. Call Simonetti and Domasic in Suffolk County today at 631-277-4848. That's 631-277-4848. Hey, Buck Sexton here. If you suffer from headaches, facial pain, anxiety, have restless sleep, or if you're like me and have TMJ, there's help. Dr. Scott of 710WOR's Sleep Health Radio invented an FDA-cleared patented device called the Pod. This new Night Guard's unique design allows it to work much better than the flat plane splint. To find out more, call Dr. Scott at 631-277-4848. That's 631-277-4848 and visit jawpaindoc.com. Sleep Health Radio is brought to you by Advanced Facial Dontics, developer of novel oral orthotics for health and wellness. Visit them at advancedfacialdontics.com. That's advancedfacialdontics.com. Welcome back to Sleep Health Radio with Dr. Scott. I'm your host, Dr. Scott Simonetti, and I'm talking about the importance of the vagus nerve, or even more important, the danger of low vagal tone. Researchers have shown that patients with ischemic heart disease have a reduction in parasympathetic activity by over one-third. Not only is high vagal tone considered cardioprotective and low vagal tone is considered a risk factor for heart disease, but poor vagal tone is also associated with heightened risk 
for psychopathology and depression. It also increases the risk of inflammation and arthritis. One of the key chores of the vagus is to reverse the inflammatory response of the stress. How, does, how do they do this? The vagus nerve has connections to the nerves in your GI. There are actually more nerves in the, in the gut than there are in our brain. That's amazing if you think about it, more in the gut. The well-connected vagus helps to reduce the inflammatory cytokines that are released by the white blood cells, the macrophages, during an immune response. The vagus signals for a reduction in the production of tumor necrosis factor and NKFB, which are inflammatory markers and inflammatory cytokines. They're the main cytokines involved in the inflammatory response. This system is called the cholinergic anti-inflammatory pathway. And my father, Dr. Joseph Simonetti, is listening. Chief, that's CAP, the CAP, cholinergic anti-inflammatory pathway. And this is mediated by the vagus. Without proper vagus input to the gut, the resident macrophages, the white blood cells, overproduce inflammatory cytokines and cause issues such as irritable bowel and digestive issues, but they also increase inflammation. A significant reduction in vagus nerve activity through elevated sympathetic, sympathetic activity from poor sleep can manifest itself in inflammation in the GI and other places of the body. So what are some of the ways we can see our vagal tone, see if we are at risk for these health-related syndromes or diseases? Well, there's something called heart rate variability, HRV. And HRV could really um, learn about much about HRV from heartmath.org. That's Roland McCready's non-for-profit site, and I encourage anyone to learn about HRV to go to that site, heartmath.org, to learn more. Also, Dr. Thomas Cohen, he's an MD, a cardiologist, stated that the real revolution in the prevention and treatment of heart disease will come with the increased understanding of the role played by the autonomic nervous system and its measurement through the tool of heart rate variability. Not only is heart rate variability known to be beneficial and protective, low HRV is a strong predictor of future health problems, even all-cause mortality. Low HRV is associated with inflammation, congestive heart failure, diabetes, hypertension, weight gain, metabolic syndrome. HRV is an important indicator of psychological resiliency and ability to handle stress. Reduced HRV is associated with anxiety, depression, PTSD, behavioral problems, and difficulty with emotional regulation. Without vagus tone, someone has a hard time accepting help. They will be less trusting. They are less likely to let someone inside their head emotionally. They will hide their thoughts and emotions. They will want to close out the outside world. They will limit social interactions. That's because their ventral vagal complex, the smart vagus, is being restrained. They are being led by the sympathetic branch, their fight or flight, and the more primitive dorsal vagal complex, which will cause social withdrawal and isolation. You're listening to Sleep Health Radio on 710 WOR with Dr. Scott. Someone who has known about the importance of HRV for many years has not only written many articles, but was one of the first people to understand the importance of wearable sensors and the potential feedback and monitoring that could come from a wearable. So I would like to introduce Dr. Robert Drury to Sleep Health Radio. Dr. Drury is a clinical psychologist 
and a public health researcher. Thank you for joining me live on Sleep Health Radio, Dr. Drury. Good morning, Scott. I'm so glad to be here. And here, by the way, is in Seattle, where the sun is just barely beginning to come up. So it's a little bit earlier for me than it is for you folks in New York. Well, thanks for joining us at an early time for you. So I considered one of you the early pioneers of wearables, uh, you know, well before people wear things on their, on their, uh, on their watches and, and have it almost everywhere among us. You were one of the first ones to see the importance of um, monitoring HRV. Can you tell us a little about how you first uh, came upon this? Yeah, I can, and I think we have uh, enough time to give a little bit of a sketch, so thanks. The, and I do want to say that the uh, heart rate variability, which is sort of uh, mainly regulated by the vagal nerve, is so important that it's sort of like a revolution in healthcare. Uh, before we knew about germ theory, we didn't know what to do when a person had an infection, and we could try all sorts of things, but didn't really have any guidance. HRV and the vagal nerve is similar in some ways because we really knew it existed for a long time, but we didn't know much about what it did or what to do about it. Uh, the vagal nerve, the name means traveler. Vagus means traveler. It goes all over the body. Every important system is uh, affected by the, the vagal nerve. And I got interested as a kid because I grew up in the 50s when there was a uh, a number of things happened, but including they invented the transistor. And I was very interested in that because I was interested in building radios, which I also thought was fascinating. Radio was interesting. There was a thing called Sputnik, which is a satellite the Russians launched. And if you built the right radio, you could hear it sending uh, what sounded like a heartbeat over the radio. So I got very interested in that and studied it uh, in uh, high school and college and uh, actually became interested in the idea of the physiology being very important to human functioning. Uh, after I got out of uh, college, I started a, a sleep lab at UC Irvine with Dr. Gordon Globus. It was the first one they'd had, and uh, it showed some very important things about how biorhythms uh, affect humans. And uh, it turned out that through that work, I... Uh, inherited the sleep lab when I went to graduate school at Washington State University. And there we started noticing that these rhythms uh, that the ventral, uh, excuse me, that the uh, vagal nerve mediates can be affected by various interventions, including something called biofeedback. And I was able to show that people could actually learn to change those kind of things. It turned out that uh, that was a, a very big breakthrough sort of got me involved more in understanding how health is a complex matter. At that time, there was much more of an emphasis on uh, sort of trying to physically intervene with either surgery or medicines. And a large part of the HRV work shows that uh, the social relationship, uh, what they call the social engagement system, is really key with us humans. And it's one of the things that really separates us from a lot of other uh, animals in this world. Uh, I do want to say, by the way, that uh, a very popular book right now by Yuval Harari, uh, he wrote a book called Sapiens, which was quite popular. And then he followed it up with 21 Lessons for the 21st Century. And he talks about how education and social interaction are the keys to uh, 
dealing with and changing our world, which is under considerable stress with uh, COVID-19 and many other things right now. So I think, Scott, your emphasis on HRV is very well placed. Thank you so much for doing such a good job of describing uh, the basis of uh, HRV, heart rate variability. well, thanks a lot. That means a lot coming from such an expert um, like yourself. I'm glad you mentioned COVID um, because I noticed that um, one of your new articles that you have coming up is in relation to um, HRV and COVID. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, actually, I'm very excited because we have found out that, uh, like I said, that HRV, heart rate variability, is a very sensitive measure of what's going on with us as human beings, not just physically, not just the physical variable. It's very sensitive to other changes as well. Uh, Most people think of it as relating just to the heart, but not really. Uh, It's very sensitive to the action of the immune system and the presence of inflammation. Mm -hmm. So it turns out Mm -hmm. that if you're measuring heart rate variability sensitively with one of our wireless devices, which now can be as compact as a little ring that you wear, so you don't have to have anything strapped on you anywhere, that you can detect changes that are likely to predict the onset of inflammation and even COVID itself seven days before there are any symptoms visible, which is extremely important in terms of public health. Mm-hmm. The whole issue, until you have a successful vaccination process, is to identify cases early and be able to monitor them. And so what we're proposing is to use this very uh, simple, inexpensive, and easy-to-use uh, wireless approach to look at heart rate variability and maybe a few other things like temperature and activity level, uh, which that ring is able to, to measure, believe it or not, and send to your, your cell phone, your smartphone, And then we have an algorithm that we've developed that will look at that very carefully and actually give feedback to the person if there looks like there's signs of problems, including, you know, to recommend seeking health care if necessary. Mm -hmm. It can also be used by public health officials to track how much is a hotspot starting to develop because we don't know now until the person develops symptoms. And unfortunately, as many people know, there are asymptomatic people that have COVID that don't even have any symptoms. However, yeah, this, variability is able to pick that up. Right. This would be more predictive. Uh, uh, interesting. I, articles from 2020 and actually 21 are showing that that CAP system that I mentioned before, that cholinergic anti-inflammatory pathway is impaired in these cases of, of COVID. And there's one article that was basically pointing this one system, CAP, not being active enough, which is stimulated by the vagus nerve, which would be reflective in, in low HRV. And I, that potentially is the connection between this low HRV uh, and patients who are, who are, who are um, succumbing to the illness. What do you think about that, Dr. Drury? Well, I think you've hit the nail on the head, Scott, that the article that we're just in the final stages of review right now, I, it's not published, but it will be soon. Uh, one of the co-authors is uh, Mark Jarcik. Uh, who had that article that you just mentioned, looking at the, the cholinergic uh, pathway and the inflammation process. And he's been able to show by several really important studies that uh, that can be useful in monitoring health status and uh, in advance of the signs of uh, you know, symptoms that the person would experience. 
so I think you're absolutely on target and that we unfortunately have learned that with pandemics will become more frequent in the future, most likely with you know improvement in transportation and communication. And we need to have an active system that can help us watch for that. We call it digital epidemiology in the public health realm. And I think this system that we are talking about, we've called it the canary system because it uses that metaphor of the canary in the coal mine, which is used to detect the problem before mm-hmm. all the miners die. The canary falls mm-hmm. over. Our canary system is designed to monitor health and you know, the onset of problems before they actually start killing you. Sounds sounds amazingly important, and especially in these times of a, a global pandemic where we need to monitor and be more predictive uh, and then more responsive. So, Dr. Drury, I want to thank you so much for joining me today on Sleep Health Radio. Um, what you've done uh, in the past and what you're doing in the future with your, as your new articles are coming out, um, is groundbreaking, and I would love to follow your work, and hopefully your system that you envision um, the, could be, could be um, formed really quick because this is, this you, is important so for, uh, for the world. So thanks again for joining I, me, I Dr. Jury. All right. You be well. So a few years ago, I was invited to present clinical data to the Department of Defense at the Military System Health Research Symposium in Kissimmee, Florida. I had collected pre- and post-treatment HRV data on multiple patients that demonstrated an increase in their HRV levels, especially in their parasympathetic portion in the spectrum analysis, from wearing my custom splint. The patients reported outcomes that include decreased stress levels, easier to deal with daily stressors, decreased anxiety and headaches, along with improved jaw function. These were studies that demonstrated that improved HRV in a patient can decrease symptoms of stress, anxiety, and pain. Remember, happy Vegas nerve, happy life. So if you missed any of today's show, you can find the podcast on iHeart along with previous episodes by searching Sleep Health Radio or ask Alexa to play Sleep Health Radio podcast on iHeart. On the next episode, I will discuss the importance of nasal breathing and the air molecule that's the boss inside of us. And it's not oxygen. Find out who the boss is next time on Sleep Health Radio with Dr. Scott on 710WOR, the voice of New York. Until then, I'm Dr. Scott Simonetti, wishing you a great day, but an even better night. something that's not boring a laundry oh a book club computer solitaire huh ah oh, sorry we were looking for chumba casino that's right chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino style games join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes 
Chumba. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.